All right, if I can ask you to please open Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, continuing our slow march through this wonderful Gospel. Luke 6 and verse number 17. Thank you for the good singing this morning. And thank you for that lovely special as well. You guys did an outstanding job. That's a great song. And I appreciate you you guys putting in the time and effort for that. Luke chapter 6. And instead of reading the whole passage in the beginning, I'm just going to give you a brief overview. We will go through the verses just now. But starting in verse 17 down to 19, it's, it's a bit of a bridge. Jesus has chosen his 12 apostles. And then it's going to talk about a large multitude gathering and Jesus is ministering to them down to verse 19. We'll make some quick comments as we go through that. Verses 20 down to 23, Jesus is going to talk about some people that are blessed. And it's going to sound very much like something we've heard in another gospel. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, we have the Sermon on the Mount. I'll explain the differences, but it's very much the same in in what we're reading in those verses but then something different happens verse 24 to 26 Jesus offers some warning some admonition the biblical word here he used is woe woe unto you Uh, the word woe means destruction or misery or curse watch out is what he's saying and rather than try to expound and explain each part of each verse we're going to zoom out a little bit today and deal with especially starting in verse 20, the things that Jesus said would be a blessing, the things that he warned the people about, that's going to be the focus of our, of our attention this morning. And I, I want to preach, and I think you'll see as he's going through that on this topic, things will change. Things are going to change. Things are not going to remain the same. And for some of you, that is very good news. And for others of you, that's the saddest thing you could hear. And I think that's the point that Jesus is going to bring across today. So if you would join me in a word of prayer before we dive into the Scripture this morning. Father, help us. Thank you. You've already touched our hearts and ministered to us today. The the singing, Lord, thank you. Father, the the way that you've brought your people today, we... Father, I can only pray that you would soften the ground now as the seed is given out, might it fall into good ground. Please fill me with your Spirit. Lord, guide me. Help me to say only that which you would have me say. We pray that your presence would be real. Father, we'd walk away knowing that we met with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Verse number 17, it says, And he came down with them. So Jesus had gone up in a mountain all night to pray. He chose his 12 apostles, and he came down with them. Just a quick comment about that. That is Jesus' method for discipleship. How did he train the apostles to carry on this massive job of evangelizing the world and starting the New Testament church. He spent time with them. That is the best way you can disciple people, is just be around them. Moms and dads, that's the best way you can raise your kids. Be with them. Jesus, it says, He came down with them. Those are the apostles. And stood in the plain. Please log that in the back of your mind. He is no longer on a mountain. He is standing in the plain. Now, the reason this is important, in Matthew 5, where we have the Sermon on the Mount, right? That sermon is given from Jesus standing on a mount, which is why we call it Sermon on the Mount. 
this sermon, the rest of Luke 6, sounds very much like the Sermon on the Mount. It is basically the same sermon, but there are a few differences because it is not the same time. It's not the same uh, event. And this happens often where a preacher will take the same sermon he preached in one place and preach it somewhere else. That's what Jesus is doing. So instead of the Sermon on the Mount, this is the Sermon in the Plain. But it's, he's borrowing many of the same ideas. He stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So notice the three groups. The apostles are there and then the disciples. Remember, those are two separate groups. The apostles were called out from among the disciples. So there's a company of his disciples, hundreds maybe, and a great multitude. These are visitors, right? Apostles, disciples, visitors. They're coming because they've heard this guy Jesus can do great miracles. They're coming to get some help. Verse 18, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went virtue out of him, and he healed them. Virtue is a, a spiritual strength. It is spiritual potency or a moral quality. So Jesus, his cup was filled to overflowing with this virtue. And anytime he helped somebody, virtue would go out, this spiritual potency or strength. Which, by the way, that's how it works for us as well. Whenever you've tried to console or counsel somebody, even though you're not physically running a race or doing physical work, you are exerting some strength. And it can wear you out just trying to help console people. I love what it says in verse 19, the whole, the whole multitude sought to touch him. I hope to God that's true today. I hope that you've come today seeking to get a hold of him. I hope you've come today wanting to get close enough, not, not at a distance, not following at a distance so that you can say that you were there when you heard him speak, but so close that you can reach out your hand and know that today I drew nigh to God. The whole multitude sought to touch him. Jesus, he's healing these people, and at a certain point you can tell that he has to step back and now it's time to preach. Verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, he looks, now, now just play the picture in your mind. He looks out and he can see a great company of his disciples, hundreds of them. These people, they come to every sermon that he preaches, they're there. Their lives are changing because Jesus has touched their lives. And now they're in the plain and, and he looks upon his disciples and he knows these folks are suffering. They are putting into practice what Jesus has been teaching, and as a result, their life did not immediately get better. It got worse. Not in their heart, mind you, but in their secular life. They didn't immediately become rich and famous. As a matter of fact, it was the opposite. Many of them, because of the changes they had to make as a follower of Christ, they didn't have the same business opportunities they used to have. They weren't becoming famous. They were becoming despised by the general public because they're followers of this rogue preacher named Jesus. He looks on those disciples and he wants to give them hope and said in verse 20, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Well, it didn't much feel like it at the time, did it? If, you looked, if, if they look around at their situation, they think, I'm going to go home. I don't have bread enough to eat. I can't pay my bills. I owe tax money to the Romans, to the temple. I don't know how I'm going to exist for the next day. And he says, you guys, listen, you can be quite happy because the kingdom of God is yours. He's giving them something to look forward to. It's a present possession that will be fully realized in the future. Sometimes, guys, as you struggle, because you're doing right, you're going to have to cling to this kind of hope. To say, right now, I'm not seeing all the benefits of following Christ, but one day, it will be worth it all. And that's what he's telling them. Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. I like how he says it. He didn't say, for yours will be. He didn't say, blessed you shall be. You're blessed right now. You understand the word blessed means happy. They can be happy in a state of poverty. It almost sounds paradoxical. It sounds like a contradiction. How can you be so happy when things are going so poorly? Because I know where this is going to end up. I know the end of this thing. And right now, all I have to cling to is a promise from God, and that's enough. That's enough to keep me happy. Verse 21, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil, for the Son of Man's sake. Do you see here, that's pivotal in this passage. They are experiencing these hardships because they're following Christ. Everybody experiences hardships. Everybody struggles with life to a certain extent. Yes, we all have valleys. That is just part of being human. But Jesus is taking this to another level. You that are following me and suffering for it, you need to know that there's great hope. Verse 23, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. <laughs> How's that for service participation? That was the previous hour. Leap for joy. Go, man, this is wonderful. I'm so excited that people hate me. <laughs> Sounds strange, doesn't it? But that's what he's saying. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Do you know how much faith that takes? Because you can't see that reward. We are taking his word for it. That up in heaven we have laid up treasure that moth and rust doth not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. That this life we're living, walking in the path of Christ is well worth it. I am betting my eternity on what Jesus said right here. And it's worth it. He says, for in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. He says, you aren't the first people to suffer for doing right. Many righteous men and women have gone down this same path. Busy obeying God. And in the immediate, it wasn't so great. But in the long run, worth it. Verse number 24, then he switches his focus, but woe unto. So let's just talk for a moment about this first group. These disciples that have changed their lives to follow Christ and are now struggling. Let me first say this, if you're hungry and sad and rejected of men because of all the poor choices you've made, you, you need to understand that you're simply reaping what you've sowed. 
Do not look at this passage and go, but I'm poor, I'm hungry, and people hate me. Therefore, God is going to reward me in the next life because I'm poor, hungry, and hated. It's not that simple. Poor, hungry, and hated because I'm following Christ. If you're poor, hungry, and hated because you make horrible decisions that are anti-God and go against the Bible, then what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting it to change. Do not expect to get happy and find good things at the end if you keep following that path. You're going to continue in that state of hunger and sadness. God does not simply reward you at the end because you're hungry now, because you're poor now. But He does look at it if you're hungering and thirsting and poor because you've been following Me, then there's great hope. I wonder... And I know this is true. I know plenty of people that have given up money, business opportunities, given up relationships with their families, given up friendships, simply because it didn't fit with their walk with God. And it can get tough to continually make those sacrifices and not see, not, not see the payoff right now. One of my Heroes, you've heard me tell you about him in the past. Eliman Zekedzeke is one of our pastors in Malawi. When he became a pastor, he didn't want to be. He went out to his village because there was no money in the capital city. He started winning people to Christ. A church got started. His family hired seven thugs to kill him. We had to pull him out of the village, and after two months of kind of hiding in the capital city, he said, Pastor, i got to go back. God has called me to be a shepherd of those sheep. I've got to go back. And he did. His family did not quit trying to overthrow what God was doing. So his brother told him one day, Mom needs us to go pick something up for a business we're trying to start, so come with me. His brother had a car. We, he, he's in the central region of Malawi. Drove Elimon hundreds of kilometers, over a thousand kilometers, to the bottom of Malawi. Got him to the southern border, took Elimon's passport, and then tied him in the, into the car so he couldn't get out. Gave the passport to the border patrol, took him into Mozambique, and now Elimon was a prisoner. He was a hostage of his brother. He said, what are you doing? We were supposed to pick something up at the border and take it back to mom. He said, no, that's not the plan. You're ruining your life. You've thrown away all your opportunities to, to have a job. Now you're just pastoring these, this little church in the backside of a village. This is silly. This is nonsense. Give it up. I'm taking you to South Africa. And I'm going to take you there, and we're going to get you a good education and get you a good job so that you can make plenty of money and you can send money back to the family and all of us can be happy and healthy. Drove Elimon all the way down to Mayerton. Dropped him off and left him. Said, you're on your own. Call this number if you want to get this education. We'll pay for it. Gave him the number and just left him. There's Elamon just walking around going, what am I going to do? All he knows how to do is garden. So he's, you know, he's working in somebody's garden trying to make ends meet. He never did call that number. One day he's walking down the road in Meriton, way out in the backside of nowhere, and he sees a sign on the side of the road, Bible Baptist Church. Not us, but a different missionary that had been in the country since 1991, I think. And he walked into that church, a man named Brother Sykes, went to the same Bible school that I went to years and years ago. He's since passed away now. He walked in and he, he said, hello, I'm Elimon, I'm from Malawi. And Brother Sykes said, do you know Mike Flick? He said, that's my pastor. 
He said, well, what are you doing here? And he told him the whole story. My brother dropped me off. They're trying to get me out of the ministry, but I'm, I'm trying to find a way back to Malawi because I know God's called me to pastor there in that village. And Brother Sykes, he wrote me an email. He said, listen, Brother Flick, is this legit? Because we don't meet this kind of guy every day. Is this real? This guy said that his family tried to kill him and then his family kidnapped him and dropped him off. And make it. Can this be real? I said, Brother, that sounds like Elimon. So I sent money down for Elimon's bus fare, got him back to Malawi. Did you know right now today he's pastoring four churches? And he never asked for anything. His wife had to carry around a disabled child. That child could not walk, could not talk. All that child could do was cry. And for 10 years, that's all that child did, night and day, was cry. I never once heard Elimon complain, never heard his wife complain. He just kept preaching the gospel everywhere he went. He stepped across into Mozambique and started two churches that side. And when I think about somebody like Elimon, I think of Jesus lifting up his eyes on his disciples, and there's Elimon standing in the crowd. And I think of Jesus looking right at Elimon saying, Blessed be ye poor, and blessed are ye that hunger now. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and revile you and cast you out, take you to another country for the Son of Man's sake, for great is your reward in heaven. Following Christ, listen, you don't have to make it more difficult than it needs to be, but do not fear whatever your discipleship will cost you because it will be worth it. Listen, it might be tough in this life and it will cost you, but things will change things will change. One day the Lord will come back. One day you will see him face to face. One day you'll sit down with him in the kingdom and all of the weeping that's been going on now is going to be changed to laughter and you're going to look back on those 20, 30, 40 years that you went without and you had it rough and go, Lord, thank you so much for telling me what was coming because that gave me the grace and the strength to stick with it and not to quit. Your promises got me through that and nothing else just you. Oh, brother, sister, it'll be worth it then. Jesus turns his attention to verse 24 to a different crowd, and this is where we find that there's a difference. In the Sermon on the Mount, we don't get this. This is new information because it's a different crowd. Remember, apostles, disciples, but then there's a multitude there of just people. Jesus talked about the wheat coming up with the tares. Jesus talked about the sheep and the goats, and at a certain point, they'll get divided. But for a while, they gather together. And this is one example of it. Not everybody that comes to church is saved. Not everybody that seeks to touch Jesus is in it for the right reasons. Some seek to touch Him simply to walk away healed, never to see Jesus again. Some want the blessing of God. They want to use God as a means of getting wealth and fame but they're not in it for God Jesus knew this and he turns his attention to them verse 24 but woe unto you that are rich for ye have received your consolation woe unto ye that are full for ye shall hunger woe unto you that laugh now for ye shall mourn and weep Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. What a powerful warning 
what heavy words Jesus is giving them. Might I be quick to point out, it's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to have food. It's not a sin to have friends. But what did it cost you to get those things? Did you sacrifice your discipleship in order to achieve riches, a full pantry, a full belly, and popularity? Did you have to cut spiritual corners in your life to be accepted in your social circles? That's what Jesus is warning of. It's not a sin to have these things, but it can be sinful if you achieve them the wrong way. I fear this is true for too many Christians today. End-time Christianity is, is defined, I believe, so brilliantly in Revelation chapter 3 with the Laodicean church. Jesus says, I would you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'd spew you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. He says, you guys are looking at your secular and temporal prosperity and supposing that that gain is godliness. He said, you've forgotten what the power of that godliness is all about. The goal for these people in verses 24 to 26, the goal for them is to be rich and full and popular. And Jesus is warning them, guys, things will change. You might have it very well now. And right now, nobody condemns you because everybody wants to be your friend because you have the money and you have the popularity. But one day, if you didn't gain those things the right way, things are going to change. And you will forever regret the good life that you had. It's a very true statement that if you're saved and following Christ, that this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. Isn't that good? If you're saved and following Christ, this is as bad as it'll ever be. And when you think about it, I don't know about you, but that humbles me because I got plenty to eat. I don't suffer hunger. I've been trying to lose weight for three weeks. I suffer fullness. <laughs> I don't suffer hunger. Listen, I, I know that not everybody likes me. But I'm in a room full of people that I, I get along with. I am rich. Listen, I, I didn't come to Africa to be rich. I never got into the ministry to be rich. That wasn't my goal. It's not my goal. I have no intentions of making it my goal. But let's call a spade a spade. God's been really good. Is it right, after all the people that have suffered for the Son of Man's sake, that I should have it so good? Is that right? Is that okay? I try to be careful to thank God for all His goodness. I want it to keep my heart soft. I want to stay humble with that and go, God, I don't deserve all of this. Why are you so good to me? I want to be careful to use that goodness for His glory and to help others. May it never be the end goal of my life. 
Praise God. If you're saved and following Christ, this is as bad as it ever gets. What a wonderful truth. But listen, if you're lost, if you've never been born again, you might be the richest man in the room and the most popular man in this country. But this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. So you better enjoy it while you can because things are going to change. It won't be like this forever. Your laughter, your riches, it'll flee away. And it'll be turned to mourning, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. Your friends will have nothing good to say about you one second after you're dead. It won't help you. It won't help you. You know what I, I fear sometimes? As disciples of Christ, and I'm speaking to this modern day generation, I'm speaking to this church. As we follow Christ, hasn't He been good to us? I mean, he's, He supplies our needs, doesn't He? Doesn't He? I mean, some of you, I know you're not prone to participating in the service with an amen or putting the hand up or saying glory to God, but you really need to participate on this point. God's been good to a lot of you. Amen. He's been really good. Your, your bills are paid. Food's on the table. Listen, you're going to go home. You already know what you're going to eat for lunch. There might be some people in this room that don't know that, but most of you do. You know what the temptation is? We change our life, we follow Christ, we get saved, we say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. And, and as soon as we do, a peace and a joy comes over us, and man, we feel good about doing it God's way, and then God begins to bless those efforts, and man, the job falls into line, and the family gets happy, and we're laughing with them, and that's good. And the bills get paid, and that's good. And you find a church family where you can love each other, and help each other, and comfort each other, and that's good. And life gets comfortable. And, and that's not bad. We're supposed to comfort one another. But what, what the danger is, is we fall in love with that comfortable life. And all of a sudden, at some point, God asks us to make some sort of a sacrifice. We are challenged by a certain situation where if I obey the Lord in this scenario, it's going to cost me. And my life's not going to be as comfortable anymore. If I obey the Lord on this, if I follow the leading of the Holy Spirit on this, it is going to drastically change my life. And I'm not going to be as comfortable. And that's where we pause for a moment and go, Lord, listen, it's been real good following you up until now. But if I make this decision to obey you, things are not going to be so nice in the temporary. And almost, can we say, the blessings of God become a curse. Not because he changed it, because our attitude towards the blessings changed it. We forget why we got into this. We didn't get into it for the money, for the comfort, for the laughing. We didn't get into it for that. We got into it because we needed Jesus to change us. And once he changed us, it changed our circumstance. And now that the circumstance is nice, we'll do anything to hold on to that circumstance. Church, there is coming a time, not just in this country, but in the world, where your faith will be challenged.
And God help me as your pastor if I don't prepare you for it. There will be a day that you'll have to choose between following Christ and paying the bills. Between following Christ and even living out the rest of your natural life. Millions of Christians have had to make that choice. Why should we not even consider the fact one day my faith might be challenged that as they say, if you go to church today and worship the one called Christ, you are not going back home. I read you in the announcements times about a pastor being arrested for distributing Bibles in India. And what if that were you? I'll go home to my family and live out my life happy and comfortable or hand a Bible to somebody and spend years in prison. I'm not asking you to make your life harder than it needs to be. I'm preparing you to make that very difficult but necessary decision that when my faith is challenged, I must think eternally. If you're in this room, rich, full, all men speak well of you. Make sure that those things do not become the end goal. The reason you're on this planet is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thank God for those things. Do not feel conviction for having those things. Never let those things become your God. Never let them become your goal. You young folks, you students, get it settled in your heart right now. I don't care if I'm rich, poor, if I live in a big house, a small house. That stuff doesn't matter. It comes and goes. All I want to do with my life is put a smile on the face of Jesus Christ. That's what I need to be happy. The other stuff can come and go. The old saying is, never sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporary. Never sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporary. We read in the Old Testament about a man named Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. Sick unto death, prophet Isaiah was sent to him, get your house in order, you're about to die. Hezekiah turns himself to the wall and begins to weep and says, oh God, don't you remember I've been such a good king, I've followed you, I was, I was faithful to your word, God please have mercy on me. And God stops the prophet Isaiah. He's in the courtyard walking home and God says, oh Isaiah, hang on just a second, turn around, go back, I changed my mind, go back. Hezekiah prayed, I, I, I'm going to give him 15 more years. You go tell him that. Isaiah walks back in the room, and he had a massive uh, boil, and God had told him what to do to heal the boil, put a plaster on it of figs. He puts the plaster on it. He says, listen, Hezekiah, God's heard your prayers. He's going to give you 15 more years. 15 more years. He says, Hezekiah, just to make sure you know how concrete this promise is, ask a sign from God. Tell me, which would you rather have? You want the, the sundial, you want, you want it to go down 10 degrees, or do you want the sun to come backwards 10 degrees? Now listen, if I'm Hezekiah right there, I'm thinking, okay, let's just keep it safe. Let the sun go down 10 degrees, right? And then definitely, hey, I'm in. Hezekiah thought, no, 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 I want to see this. He said, it's not a big thing for the sun to go down 10 degrees. That happens every day. Let it come back 10 degrees. And it did. Hezekiah knew how sure the promises of God were. I'm going to have 15 more years. That event was so momentous that the people all the way in Babylon heard about it. 
thousands of kilometers away because the sun going back 10 degrees is not something that is localized. The whole earth saw this. You know, the people in India and America and South America are scratching their heads going, what? <laughs> what was that? I mean, they had no idea. But the Babylonians, they're not too, too far away. They saw this. And rumors, you know, begins to spread, hey, we think God, the God of the Jews, did something. The Babylonians send ambassadors to Hezekiah. They say, we heard that you prayed and that something went on. Tell us a story. He tells them, and they say, man, God must really have his hand on you. He said, yeah, let me show you around. Come on, come on with me. I'll give you the tour. And King Hezekiah showed them everything in his kingdom. He said, look, he opened up the treasure house. He said, look at all these riches, the gold, the silver, the stones. Look, look, I mean, God has been so good to us. You know what the Bible says? God left him to try him, to see what he would do with the ambassadors of Babylon. You know what God did? God said, I'll give you 15 more years because you're a faithful follower. You prayed fervently. I'll bless that. Here's 15 more years. Here's wealth and health and prosperity. And then God backs off and says, now let's see what you love more, the wealth, health, prosperity, the fame, or me. The prophet Isaiah was again sent. He steps back in. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, I'm reading now, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Isaiah came in and said, Hezekiah, did you show those ambassadors everything in your, in your arsenal? He said, yeah. He said, okay, you're going to lose it all. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. And they all shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, please listen to this part. Please focus in on this. Here's Hezekiah's response when Isaiah says, you're going to lose it all. Hezekiah, things are going to change. Not for the better. It's going to get bad. Not in your days. You're going to have 15 good years, but after you, things are going to get bad. Hezekiah says unto Isaiah, good is the word of the Lord, which thou hast spoken. Good? Hezekiah, you said that's good? If I'm Isaiah, I'm like, whoa, time out. Let me repeat that. Let me make sure you heard me correctly. You're going to lose everything. <laughs> he says, good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, is it not good if peace and truth shall be in my days? He said, well, at least I'll have a comfortable life. At least I'll live out the rest of my years enjoying this wealth and health. You know what Hezekiah forgot? He's going to rise back up in the resurrection. And he's going to have to stand before God and say, God, I loved those things more than you. Hezekiah forgot that things are going to change. That statement can be a great comfort for those of you that are struggling for the Son of Man's sake. But for those of you that have been blessed enough to have some good things in this, in this life. It's a statement of warning to check your heart. Not to condemn you for having it,
but to warn you that that's not the point. We're here for the Son of Man's sake. Never make those things the focus. Regret one day of living your life in obedience to Jesus Christ. You'll never regret that. That will never change. You'll feel good the day you do it, and you'll feel good all the way through eternity that you did it. That will never change. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. As the pianist comes to play something softly, I want to ask you to search your heart this morning. I've tried to be very careful to make it clear you should not feel guilty just because you have something. But just make sure that something doesn't have you. If you have spent more time this week worried about your bank account than you have your walk with God, something might need to change immediately. If you have made a greater effort this year in your business than you have in your spiritual life, something needs to change. Do you understand I'm not saying forsake business? But your priorities are not where they ought to be. Some of you have forgotten what got you to this good point in your life. Now that God has blessed you and put you in a nice spot, you just kind of put God in the background. You ought to love and pursue God as if you had nothing. Because without Him, that's exactly what you'd be. Some have come forward. If you'd also like to spend a moment with the Lord. We read this morning that the whole multitude came to touch Him. Maybe you need to step out just to get a hold of Him. Say, Lord, I'm drawing nigh. You obey the Lord. Some of you ought to fall to your knees and just start thanking God profusely for being so good. So good to you now. My goodness, how many Christians have given their life. And this morning, we don't have to make that choice. God help us one day, we might. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, how about today? You say, Lord, I, I've been pursuing other things in my life. Other things have been more important. But today, I want you to come in and change me. 
I believe that you died on that cross to pay for my sins. And I don't want to waste my life on temporary goals. I want to live my life for you. Would you, would you invite him in today? Would you do that? If you are praying, we're going to give them a moment. Might I ask, though, if you're here and never been saved, I'd like to pray for you. Listen, I can't, I can't save you, but I want to pray for you. Would you be willing to just slip your hand up and put it back down and say, Pastor, just pray for me. I, I need to make that decision. Thank you. I appreciate the honesty. Thank you. Say, Pastor, just pray for me. I... You know, some of you folks that have been real blessed, God's been good to you. Don't be deceived by all the riches and fame. Listen, that's just smokescreen. That doesn't go with you into eternity. What does God think of you? Father, I want to pray for those hands that went up. Might this be the day that everything else gets pushed aside and their eyes are turned upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Might this be the day that they call out to you and ask for your Son to be their Lord and Savior. Father, for, as for the rest of us, oh God, you've been so good. Lord, it's, you've been so good, it, it scares me. And I mean that, Lord, it scares me. Lord, help us, God, when, when it gets tough, when we have to make that tough decision. God, we want you to come first before our money or fame. Lord, we want to serve you even when it hurts. Lord, we believe that it will be worth it all. And finally, Father, for those that are suffering for the Son of Man's sake, in a small or great way, might you give them great comfort today. Remind them today that things will change. And forever and ever, tears will be wiped away. All, all sorrow will be gone. They'll laugh and smile. Comfort them today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being with us today. Please join us again tonight, 6 o'clock. We have our Bible school and our evenings.